Paul gets in the face. Rondo throws a punch. Paul throws a punch. Ingram comes in here. He throws a punch. Those three will be suspended for those punches. Multiple games. Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for jumping on board, Robert, along with my co-host, R.G. Seal. And uh, Astros season over with, but the Rocket season just starting. There's some Astros stuff we're going to get to in a little bit. But uh, first of all, the Rockets, R.G., and I tell you what, I I saw more fight with Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo in that Lakers game than I saw with the Rockets' defense the first three games of the season. That. That's going to be an issue if they continue this. Are you ready to see these guys in the UFC cage then? Are you ready to see Rondo versus CP3 coming soon to a UFC cage near you? All I could think of was uh, I, I was looking for Keith Hernandez. Was there a second spitter? A classic Seinfeld there. All right. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I've, I've been to New York City three times. And the second time I was there, this was back in 2001. I went to a restaurant on the Upper East Side and I actually sat a couple of tables over and there was you know, a couple of tables over for me, and there was Keith Hernandez right there. Was it the Seinfeld Cafe where uh, Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, and George all sitting there too? Was that the place where you were? I did go to the famous Tom's Diner the first time I went there, the the place that it's based on, but uh, I think it's called Tom's or something like that. But nah, this wasn't it. This was a nice, this was a nice like Italian, like maybe you would find maybe a mafia member there or something like that. That's one of these places on the Upper East Side. <laughs> But uh, hey, what did you what did you think of that Lakers game right in your backyard there? And, and the, the, of course, they played the Clippers the next night. But the Lakers still looking for their first win as we're recording this, right? As we're recording this, the Lakers are zero and three to start off the LeBron era. But again, this is more about the longer term with the Lakers. It's about LeBron working with the younger players this season. They got some vets to come in on short term deals, and they're looking to, of course, acquire other superstars to build around LeBron. Yeah, Lakers defense not much better than the Rockets. I, I'm going to get to the Rockets defense in just a bit, but I think the, the the last thing I want to bring up about the fight, which I found funny, is the guy that really started it and then the the big uh guy that was involved was brandon ingram of course besides rondo and chris paul he started it then he comes in with that flailing right hand uh towards the end of it but i mean who would have bet on brandon ingram like he's one of the he's one of the quietest lakers like he barely speaks he doesn't seem like he's all mr angry or anything like that you got him being the the guy that's starting everything and and throwing punches and Lance Stevenson, I don't know if you caught that. He was like being the peacemaker. He's like pulling guys out of the way. <laughs> who, who would have thought all that? Yeah, I know. I mean, it's almost like the Suicide Squad. These guys like, you know, Lance Stevenson somehow come uh, heroes there, you know, in a, in a second. Like you were talking about, they jump in there and try to stop the melee. It's like when Ron Artest uh, or Meta World Peace was you know, spouting about everybody coming together and playing as one and all that. And he was the guy that went up into the stands, right? You know, it was like how, how players change over the years. They evolve, which is it, it's just good. But, yeah, I mean, getting back to the fight, it's just kind of really odd because uh, you probably saw after it where, you know, Chris Paul, CP3, uh, after he was, you know, spit upon by Rajon Rondo, he said that uh, Rajon Rondo said that absolutely did not happen. I was wearing a mouth guard. So, I mean, now, like you said, with the Seinfeld thing, was there really a spitter there? But then the the next thing is he called 
Chris Paul a horrible teammate. And this gets kind of to the core of the Rockets and how they're constructed, and Chris Paul's a team leader. I mean, that's really taking a shot at Chris Paul, how he plays basketball, how he approaches the game. Look, we all know that he's fiery, uh, that he's a, you know he's undersized. So, I mean, a lot of that, he's always had a chip on his shoulder. That's the way that he plays. Um, but he's he's always been respected. He's a multiple-time All-Star. He's one of the greatest point guards in the history of the NBA. That's just who he is. He's tenacious. He's he's a bulldog out there on the court. And but for Ray John Rondo to say he's a horrible teammate, uh, those are fighting words. Yeah, Rondo. I mean, this is the same guy that uh, leaves every place that he goes to, like in flames. And you know, it's funny because Daryl Morey throws up a Twitter pic of a you know, the, the black kettle and the black pot, basically inferring that, you know, there's the pot calling the kettle black and Rondo going after CP3. I mean, CP3, he still, ta- I mean, from what I understand, he still talks to DeAndre Jordan all the time, his old teammate. There's a lot of guys that, that love Chris Paul. Obviously, James Harden and Chris Paul get along great. And I mean, if you get along with James Harden, sometimes you, 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 you know, that's, that's something that uh, we, we don't often see. So that, that's good. And everybody liked Chris Paul with the Rockets last year. I mean, he's a guy I'm sure they could grade on you because, because he wants to win so bad. He's such a competitor. Um, you know, I don't know all the inner workings, but it, it seems like Chris Paul's got a lot of friends around the NBA. LeBron, LeBron was pulling Chris Paul off the fight. If you saw, I mean, they're buddies, the banana boat friends. Yeah. Carmelo. They, they like, I mean, I mean, if you, if there were people, these many people that hated Chris Paul, then people I don't think would want to play with them as much as they do. Who cares what Rondo's? I mean, Rondo's a guy who cares, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But uh, I, I do want to talk. Let's talk. Let's get to the Rockets because we talked a few minutes about all this other stuff. But what's been going on the first three games of the season and just some early observations. And I don't know what you thought, if there's anything that you see. I mean, I, I know it's only three games into the season, but, you know, Michael Carter Williams, I just don't understand. This is so not a Rockets Daryl Morey guy. I mean, he shoots air balls from three. He's afraid to shoot threes. He's a, you know, he's a, He's a good defender, but he's not, you know, this isn't, uh, it's not Luke Mabamute here. You know, he's not that fantastic of a defender and they're counting on him. They're counting on him as a rotation guy. And James Ennis is out for the, the jazz game. We're recording this Wednesday morning, the jazz game Wednesday night. He's out for the game. So Michael Carter Williams is probably going to be starting playing a lot of minutes with, without James Ennis in the lineup. But, you know, to me, I don't, I don't like Michael Carter Williams in the rotation and James Ennis, I, I'll speak to him for a little bit because this is somebody that said, oh, this guy, he might be able to replace Trevor Ariza or some of the stuff that he could do. He's not the defender Trevor Ariza is. And I thought Ariza had slipped in the last couple of years, but he's not even at that level from the stuff that I'm seeing. He's he's okay. He's not a terrible defender. I feel like he's maybe your league average defender for the most part. And and the thing is, he's also picking up a lot of fouls early on in the season. He needs to stay away from that because they, they really need him on the court. I mean, he's, he's got a decent three-point shot. It'll be close to Trevor Ariza-type three-point shot with a percentage, I think. But as a defender, he's not quite there. And, you know, th- this defense without Bedzelic is just it, – it's not looking good right now. The communication isn't good. The rotation's – 
aren't quite as good. And James Harden has got to pick it up. I mean, we're st- I'm starting to see slippage already from James Harden on the defensive end. You know, there's a lot of just this stuff where, you know, he's not putting in forth the effort, either, either defending or rebounding guys are beating him, you know, backside where he's not paying attention to his man ball, you know, ball, you man is the kind of, you know, thing. And he just doesn't do that. That's the stuff that's concerning me right now, RG. And, you know, it's all the stuff that everybody said. Everybody said, you know, they, everybody made that comment before the season started. What are the, what are the Rockets going to be without some of these guys? And, and I'm already worried a little bit. Well, that's why uh, a lot of people were saying, look, this Rockets team is not as good as a 65-win team that ended the season last year and took Golden State to seven games. It's they are not as good defensively for the reason you mentioned. I mean, it was kind of a shocker towards the end of the offseason when Jeff Bezelik stepped down because he was key instrumental in uh, being the defensive coach and the, the switching rotation that – really kind of uh, was helping to stifle Golden State and other teams and really gave the the Rockets their tenacious defense uh, last season. So not only losing a defensive guru who can pretty much kind of implement the system, I know Roy Rogers is in there. He, he coached with Jeff Bazilic and the Rockets are saying, oh, you know, it'll still be fine. There's got to be concern there. Then uh, because we know that Mike – D'Antoni, he's an offensive genius. His problem has always been on the defensive end, and the Rockets haven't played very good defense to start the season. And then the other thing is what you mentioned. Look, Trevor Ariza and Luke Mabumute, they're two of the best defensive players. I don't care if, like, Ariza's had a little bit of slippage. Maybe that was because he's playing 45 to 48 minutes a night for um, most of his Rockets career. You know, you're going to have a little bit of slippage, but he still was a very— able really good defender and like you said you're putting in somebody James Ennis you might say well look uh, you can look at it statistic wise and small portions where James Ennis is able to play at a you know superior defensive level but now he's getting major minutes as, as a starter he's uh, coming in with the Rockets he's been a journeyman his career this is a, an opportunity for him and so I mean again that has to be and then you have Carmelo Anthony coming in we haven't even discussed Carmelo Anthony here's one of the superstars of the game and he's uh, coming off the bench for the Rockets and because of the suspensions because of the injuries having to put Eric Gordon in the starting lineup it's also weak in the bench the Rockets are 26 in scoring so the Rockets were looking maybe to be a little weaker defensively but they thought that they would pick it up on the offensive end right now Carmelo Anthony hasn't gotten untracked as a sub coming off the bench he's still a little bit hesitant as to how he fits into things 20 percent from three 32 percent yeah from I the mean field. I, that'll improve I, I think that it's more just him getting acclimated to the system his teammates you know but I'm just saying that they wanted to have better bench scoring. They were looking for greater offense to not have those, you know, droughts when James Harden was on the bench or Chris Paul wasn't in there or out for periods of time, like what's happening with the suspension here or injuries where you have guys that come in and contribute offensively. And so part of it with Carmelo Anthony, look, the Rockets, to me, I look at that, that the first loss was kind of a eye-opener. I was at home. The Pelicans just took it to the Rockets and walloped them. So you have to credit that team with Anthony Davis. And it looks like Julius Randle's already fitting in well there. The Lakers game was highly emotional. The Rockets had players ejected. And then the very next night, you come back against the Clippers with a shorthanded team. To me, that was an NBA scheduling loss. Okay, let's throw that one out the window. So they're basically kind of like you know, you've seen the Rockets so far. There's some worrisome signs, like you said, but it's a long season. And let me just leave it with this one thing. Daryl Morey is looking to improve the roster. We know that. 
Uh, this is a work in progress. So he's if you're noticing these things about Michael Carter Williams and or in the defensive uh you know, or lack of defensive prowess. I mean, Daryl Morey is noticing these things and already looking at ways to improve the roster because we, as we know, um, the the Rockets roster at the end of February, beginning of March, could look significantly different than it does right now. Sure, sure, yeah, I get all that. I just I want to see the concentration. I want to see the effort. I want to see, you know, some of the stuff that that you were seeing last year, and it, and, and it's from some of the main guys too, not PJ Tucker. I don't think. But yeah, you got to see this stuff from Harden, even Clint Capella to a degree. He needs to be that monster defensive player that we saw last year. His rebounding is down early in the season. Uh, But, you know, defense around the NBA, I mean, it it seems like it's optional. It's become like an all-star game. You start looking at scores and it's 130 to 140, you know, for these teams. And it's, it's, it's crazy right now. I mean, part of it is, you know, that they, and I don't think this is a major part, but you know, now off a rebound, uh, it's you get 14 seconds on the shot clock instead of 24 seconds on the shot clock. So, you know, you got to get your shot up quicker now. That's for, forced the pace a little bit. That's up the scoring somewhat. But, yeah, the Rockets, they, they've definitely got some things to work on. And for defensive purposes, you know, get Isaiah Hartenstein out of the rotation. I mean, that guy's... Well, he's still a rookie. He's he's got to be able to. Uh, but yeah, you really at this point don't want him seeing significant minutes. But getting back to what you're saying about the NBA today, I mean the pendulum swung. I mean, remember back in the days of the late '90s, early 2000s. I mean, you had these uh, 71, 68 games in the fourth quarter that were basically slow the down and you know hand checks and the rest of it. They were just like, uh, you know, having defensive battles. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was really hard to watch as an NBA fan. And then now you get the freewheeling games. And face it, the NBA was at its apex in the 1980s. That's when it kind of started off. Or I should say it, it not a, it's at its apex right now in popularity. It's really growing worldwide, globally. But where it really started to take off in the United States around the world was the Magic Johnson uh, Showtime era with the Lakers. And, you know, then so it, when Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, uh, as a matter of fact, the head coach with the Phoenix Suns brought that freewheeling basketball offensive style game to the NBA, it's totally changed things. And, yeah, like you said, it's pretty customary now to see the 130 five to 130 games and you know it's it's very rare if you see uh, two teams battling late in the fourth quarter where it's around 90 95 points so uh last podcast on the astros that we talked about going forward into the off season and i made my plea i begged and pleaded with jeff luno we we gotta keep marwin that's the guy he's the unicorn of the free agents did you write a letter is that it did you just send an open letter to jeff luno is that kind of your Robert Land pinning something on the internet that you post up with a snapshot. I, I just thought I was supposed to Instagram. Isn't that the way you do it now? Yeah, no, you could do an Instagram. That would be good. Uh, speaking of Instagrams, RG, I, I think we just got Marwin's last final note to Astros fans on Instagram. He said uh, on Tuesday, it's been the honor of my life to put on this uniform every day for the last seven seasons when I joined this team. We were the worst team in baseball, but I was just grateful to have a job. I went from playing for the worst team in baseball to raising a trophy with the best team in baseball. Houston has my heart forever, regardless of where life may take me. Thank you for being so good to me. Forever grateful. Forever. Hashtag Houston strong. RG, it sounds like Marwin's like he's packing his bags. He's gone. 
Look, he's a free agent, and so he has the ability to go anywhere. He's represented by Scott Boris. I mean, but we talked about this previously. He's a super sub on the Astros, and he's been fantastic. But if you look around the infield, third base, there's Alex Bregman. Shortstop, there's Carlos Correa. Second base, there is Jose Altuve in first base. I mean, Yuli Gurriel still has a five-year contract, at first, and he's at first base. And then you look in the outfield, you have George Springer. Then you have Kyle Tucker, which the Astros would like for him to take the position. And jo- Josh Reddick is on a multi-year contract. And Marwin's great because he's a substitute. He, he gives you this ability. If anybody gets injured, you can put him in there. And the Astros assign a value to him. Look, they're an analytical uh, – they're an organization heavy on analytics, and they – very much know the value and assign a value to a player and they're not you know and they definitely would want marwin back but within their terms and being able to assign other astros long term so it has to fit within that structure now if you're marwin gonzalez look at him from his perspective maybe at this point in his career he wants an everyday job somewhere and of course he wants a bigger contract so if somebody's going to offer him a lot more money potentially in free agency you know, that could be a better situation for him, plus an everyday job where he knows, hey, I'm going to be playing this position. To me, he reminds me, again, I've said this before, of Ben Zobrist, when he was available, came off the Kansas City uh, Royals uh, and, w- and went to the Chicago Cubs. I mean, everybody kind of wanted that Ben Zobrist type player who could play the infield, the outfield, multiple positions and could hit. And so he's going to be wanted and there are going to be teams that say, hey, we'll put you in here. We'll do this. We'll give you this. You know, so it's it's not only about the money, but it's also at this point in his career about like, you know, maybe a settled playing position, even if he still will be utility and can play all around. You know, the Astros can't offer it. They can't say you're going to be starting here and in the lineup every single day. Look, if Marwin wants to start, there's nothing that the Astros can do because you're right. There There is no place except with the possible exception of left field. I don't think, you know, Kyle Tucker should be gifted the position, but we can talk about that in a little bit. But. As far as Marwin goes, you know, the thing that's so special about Marwin is and what's what's it's so hard to replace is now when you need to take somebody out of the lineup for a day or you need to if somebody gets injured for a little bit. And I'm talking about, you know, at shortstop or at third base uh, in particular, you know, you've got to move everybody around that the, the, the Astros have to, you know, start messing everything up because now if Correa is hurt or he's taking a day off, you're moving Bregman over to shortstop. You're moving uh, Yuli over to third base. You're, you know, you're inserting whatever, maybe Tyler white over at first base. If Bregman has got a day off, you know, you've got to move Yuli over to third base and Tyler, you're doing a lot of moving around because they're not likely to get, you don't just find these Marwin types just off the street. I mean, it's just not, you're going to have to do free agency, you know, to to find a guy like that. There's, there's nobody in the Astros organization that I know of, like in triple A or double A, that's just like ready to start doing that. There's no, I don't think there's like a Kike Hernandez or something like that right now. So I mean, that's that's a major part of it, but also a big part of Marwin is the guy hits in October. And if there is, you know, an injury, you know, if guys don't work out or if something happens, you know, to have Marwin, if you get into October, a guy that hits in October, I mean, you know, we could say, well, we got other guys that hit in October, but it sure was nice to have Marwin. He helped win the World Series. He was great in that Indian series. You know, he had a big hit early in the Red Sox series. And we know how difficult it is to find guys that hit in October if you've watched Astros baseball for the last 40 years. I mean, now it looks a little bit easier, but 
Go ask Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio and some of the guys that the Astros have had in the past that struggled in October. So to me, that's a big part of the equation with him. Look, I mean, he's been a great player for the Astros. We know that he's clutch. Again, it just gets back to how much you want to pay him. If somebody's going to give him $15 million a year, and then it's going to hinder you being able to sign Alex Bregman or Carlos Correa or somebody down the road because you're tied into a four- or five-year deal with Marlon Gonzalez when he's in his 30s, then Astro fans would be a little bit upset. So the, the organization has to – they have to find out and say, this is what we value the player at being at. And if he wants to take that contract and come back to the Astros for all the reasons you mentioned, that he's clutch, he likes being good chemistry, he fits in well with Houston roster, great. I hope it happens. But if not, if he gets a huge payday from somebody else and they value you know, Marlon Gonzalez and they have the money to pay him the multi-year deal, then he's going to be gone. And there are players out there that can be found, that can play multiple positions and, uh, you know, can fit in, like you mentioned, a Kiki Hernandez on the Dodgers who can play the outfield, and the infield. You know, there there are those types that are out there. There are the, that you know, they might not be as clutch as Marwin Gonzalez and have the postseason resume, but there are players out there that could be that filler type to do that and come in at a lesser price. He still is kind of a unicorn because it's hard to find a guy that can play six different positions. You're, you're right. I mean, the only guy I could think of is Ben Zobrist is the only guy that I can that really comes to mind that plays as many positions and has the offensive capabilities that, that Marwin has. But you can't sign everybody. That's the problem. And you can't say, okay, for this upcoming year, we're going to sign Marwin Gonzalez and have him under contract. And then he gets injured and nobody yeah, wants oh, Oh, yeah, I get it. And you're right. And, and the, to me, the bigger thing is in a year, Verlander and Garrett Cole, their contracts right, are up. Exactly. Or signing Alex Bregman long term to make sure you have the money when it's like 35 to 40 million a year. Yeah, we're we're still a ways from the Bregman stuff. And But George Springer. Yeah, George Springer is a bigger deal to, to, to me. Well, and Carlos Ray and three. I mean, but you but look, they signed Jose Altuve before his deal ran out. So it's like once they come up to that free agency year, a lot of times, you know, they could potentially be gone after that. They're just it's all financial decisions. Let's face it. So if Marwin Gonzalez can come back, you know, that's that's going to be a, a big thing, seeing whether or not, you know, he can squeeze they can squeeze him in financially. But more likely than not, it seems like that that he would get an offer elsewhere that would be bigger than the Astros would be willing to pay. The Astros might have to replace three guys in their starting rotation because from Jeff Luno's press conference, sounds like a lot of these guys are gone. I, I don't think the Astros signed Keuchel and Charlie Morton. You know, we talked about it. You mentioned it in the last show. You know, he's talking about maybe retiring. If, if Morton retires and then you lose Keuchel and then, you know, Lance McCullers, it's looking like he could have some surgery. There's been some rumblings about did you, did you hear the stuff about maybe a tommy john surgery or something like that from brian mctaggart yeah they said he has a torn ucl so that was kind of the same thing that happened with the shohei otani where they tried to see if it would kind of heal and i think masahiro tanaka had kind of the same thing he's never had tommy john surgery but maybe there's a partial tear or something that well let's see we can evaluate maybe the astros want to wait a month or two in the offseason because look if he has a surgery right now he's gone all of next year it's a it's a year-long recovery so if you wait a month or two into the offseason, see if there's any kind of progress. If he decides to have it in January, let's say, it would still be a year to where he'd be getting ready and rehabbing for spring training 2020. So I think part of it is that the Astros are mum on that right now because they want to give some time to see what, what you know, if, if it gets any better. But Lance McCullers said himself, I'm all bruised up right now. I'm all banged up. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, though, about the pitching staff. I mean, look, uh, Dallas Keuchel is is he's been great for the Astros, won a Cy Young for them in 2015. Again, he was another emotional player like Marlon Gonzalez saying thank you to Houston. This is where I started my career, came up through the Astros, uh, you know, was there in the lean times like Marlon Gonzalez. It's it's really sad that these guys have to leave because they were on the 111 loss team and then they made it all the way to the championship team in 2017. But Dallas Keuchel is really somebody that you look at, you know, that, that you know, in today's baseball, this is a former Cy Young Award winner and teams are pitching starved. They'll, somebody's going to offer him, you know, a multi-year deal for 20 million, maybe more, you know, to, to go and pitch for them a year. So uh, you have to look at it from, again, a realistic standpoint. Do you want to be able to re-sign a Justin Verlander or a Garrett Cole and go acquire and they just and then I have re-sign all your core players. And then you look at a contract like Dallas Keuchel, it just it probably doesn't make sense. And then Charlie Morton, to me, that's a more realistic one, because here the Astros can offer him and they'll do this with Keuchel just because if they walk, they get draft picks from them leaving. But they can offer him the $17.5 million one-year qualifying offer. Most players do not take this, okay? Most of them say, I can get more money in free agency, a two- or three-year deal. But Charlie Morton's talked about retiring. Maybe a one-year deal to him is like, okay, I'm comfortable in Houston. We can win a championship potentially in 2019. Maybe I'd take that one-year $17.5 million contract. So look out for that because that could be a way just – you know, you, you pay for next season, you have another starter at it, and you have Charlie Morton back. We call that the Colby Rasmus option here in Houston. Exactly, the Colby Rasmus, exactly that type of thing. And so, I mean, it might, you know, it, again, Charlie Morton might say, I want a two-year, three-year deal. I can earn, you know, $60 million. Why take 17 and a half? Or the Astros might offer him that. We don't know. But I'm saying if, if he's really, truly, seriously considering retirement and doesn't know if he wants to pitch past one season, that could be kind of the perfect arrangement. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, are there any players so – because looking at the roster with the Astros, I know that there's Josh James. I know that there's Framber Valdez. I know that there is uh, you know, Forrest Whitley who could be called up. But the Astros are going to go after some other starters. Uh, they, they, as we mentioned, three of them could potentially leave. And then you have Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander in their walk years coming up. So that means by 2020, all five guys could potentially be gone or, or just Lance McCullers coming back from injury. So what, what would you do if besides, okay, call up internally or put Colin McHugh, is there any kind of starter out there that you would maybe want to see the Astros acquire via trade or some kind of free agent that maybe the Astros bring in to compete and add depth to the rotations? Yeah, it, it, the tough thing is if you're going to get out of free, you're going to get a free agent. I mean, don't you want somebody that's close to good as something? You got Keiko that you don't want to pay. So, you know, going out and getting a free agent is often spending some some pretty decent money. I mean, now last year was crazy because we saw that market drop off and teams, it seems like either they're, you know, rebuilding or they're uh, competing and the competing teams are this such this small group that, you know, maybe they get somebody on the cheap. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, I don't know how, what you do there. The one thing that I do look at is, Okay, Framber goes. I have Framber Valdez in the rotation. So you know the the rotation. The three guys that I think are definite are Cole, Verlander, and Framber Valdez. You know to start with. And if Charlie Morton goes somewhere, you got to fill two spots. You don't want to fill those two spots 
with two young guys because Fr- Fromber doesn't have the arm strength. He hasn't been in the major leagues enough to give you a lot of innings. You know, you might have to rest him a little, you know, for a couple starts in the middle of the year. I mean, he's going to have to build up the arm. You, you just can't just bring these young guys up anymore, it seems like, and just let them try to pitch 200 innings. That's not going to happen. And they're going to be going five and six, and it's going to put a lot of stress on your bullpen. The Astros, because of Keuchel, because of Morton, and because of you know Verlander and Cole stayed healthy, they, they didn't put a lot of stress on their bullpen, which kept their bullpen good all year. They also replaced a lot of those guys, and that helped. But, you know, to me... Uh, an option is still McHugh and Peacock. Those guys, they, they, they can move back into, into the starting rotation because I don't know about you, I want Josh James in the bullpen. You know, I, I think he's going to have to build his arm strength to get to be as a starter, but I think he's ready to be a really good arm in the bullpen. And when you, you look at the bullpen, you got five definite guys. You got Osuna, Presley, Joe Smith. I think Chris Davinsky will be back, and, and he's a definite guy. And then your lefty, what, you know, Tony Sips might be gone because of the money and it might be CNL Perez. And you could drop off a little bit there from that standpoint. But then the other guys, there's three guys, Peacock, uh, Josh James and McHugh. And, you know, I don't know whether to throw McCullers in the mix, but two of those guys could be a starter. And the other guys, I think, go into the bullpen. And I think McHugh and Peacock, one, if not both of those guys could be starters again. And because it's easier to bring those guys up because they they know how to pitch, you know, 200 innings. They they could do it, not necessarily 200, but they could get you close. Look, McHugh has already been in the rotation and he went to the bullpen. You just you just hate seeing a guy that floors so much in the bullpen, although he could be moved back to the starting rotation. So that is an option. I'm not totally sold with you on like, oh, automatically Framber Valdez in the uh, the rotation. Look, he came up late in the season, gave the Astros a lift. He gave them key starts, but he had a lot of control issues, walked a lot of batters. And it's not that he won't be in the mix for a starting rotation, but I don't think you go in there and automatically say he he's, uh, he, you know, he has a spot. So I think that there could be some trade options available on other teams. Remember, and again, a guy like Charlie Morton signed a two-year contract with the Astros where he's making $7.5 million a year. The Astros organization looks around for kind of those value guys. So they could go out and trade for somebody. For instance, like like Dylan Bundy had kind of a below-average year, but he was on the Orioles. He was their opening day starter, didn't have a very good year, and they're completely rebuilding. So it's – it's uh, you know, you have to look at the situation that he was in with an awful team, uh, you know, not having uh, the team behind him to help him kind of have that that strong season, but maybe has the talent if he moved to another team and could be a fourth or fifth starter on the Astros and add depth and is still under contract. I'm just that throwing that out there. I'm saying somebody like that where you could go out and trade for. Yeah, trades are still possible. I, I don't like to speculate because there could be somebody that we're not, we're not even worth thinking no, of. No, I mean that, but I'm just saying the Astros. I'm not even. I'm just using him as an example. I'm not saying going out and get somebody. Yeah. I'm just saying the Astros organization. They look at those things. They look at somebody who's maybe undervalued at this moment is in is in a team's rotation that you don't have to pay a premium price for that you can that you can acquire who's still under club control that you can add to the rotation who know also is in your rotation past this season because you don't know what happens with Garrett Cole and uh, Justin Verlander. So you have somebody that could also be a rotation guy. And I still think Forrest Whitley, we haven't mentioned very much. Yeah. And I mean, Jeff mentioned Forrest Whitley. I was going to just about to get to that because he mentioned Forrest Whitley and he mentioned Bukowskis. How can you expect much from those guys? Those guys have got to get their arms going again because 
you know, Whitley barely pitched last year. And then Bukowskis, he's got a total. This is a grand total in the minor league. The Astros just drafted him a year ago, and he's pitched a total of 69 innings. And I know Jeff brought him up, but, I mean, I, I, t- how can he honestly think that these guys – are, are a real competition to be a starter for next year. Well, no, I mean, here, here, let me, let me explain to you that uh, what I think what they're talking about. They're talking about, okay, here's a guy that could come up and contribute next season, you know, but you have to start out with a certain number of starters. So you maybe acquire a guy via trade, another free agency, you resign Charlie Martin, whatever you fill out your, and then you have your Josh James, your Framber Valdez, your, if you want to move Colin McHugh or Brad Keacock to the rotation, whatever you have your, but these are guys that you're looking at in June or July. And remember, like, look what the uh, Dodgers did. You know, Walker Bueller, you know, comes up and is automatically their best. He's their best pitcher with the team you know, towards the end of the season, even over Clayton Kershaw. So I'm thinking that the, you know, get some more starts for Force Whitley. He, uh, you know, he's playing in the Arizona Fall League. He'll start off the season, work some at AAA. You can kind of space out his starts, but have him ready to come in and contribute and help the team in June or July when there's an opening in the rotation or, you know, and then boom, he's off to the races, hopefully. And and then you can keep him on there for a potential postseason run. To me, the biggest thing that they need to deal for is a catcher. And, and, and I got it wrong. I, I apologize in the last show. I said that Brian McCann wasn't a free agent. There's a $15 million team option. The Astros aren't going to take the $15 million team option, obviously. So, you know, I think Brian McCann, you know, I don't think I'm pretty darn sure that he's as good as gone because I think the Astros are going to have to go out and, and they're going to have to find a starting catcher somewhere. Somehow, I don't know if I want to run back Martin Maldonado because I would like to have a catcher that could hit some. I think you got a backup and a, and a Max Stassi that's a decent backup that you can have out there. But, you know, to me, that's the move either in free agency or you know, you mentioned Real Muldo. A lot of people mentioned JT Real. I mean, that's a guy. I think the Astros need to do what they can to try to get somebody like that because then you've got somebody that can even extend that batting order. And they had the injuries this year. And it's not, I'm not saying it's going to happen again next year. You know, hopefully the knee surgery with Altuve, which we haven't mentioned, and we knew that was bad. He's basically playing on one leg and Correa's back problems and Springer always gets hurt. You want a catcher that can hit so the lineup doesn't go into the toilet as much if those guys, for some reason, get hurt again in the middle of the year. And it'd be nice to have that. And if you do get a catcher that could hit, I mean, we're talking about you could put that guy in the seven spot or something like a real Muto. And it's like, oh, my God, what a seven hitter or what an eight hitter that you would have because the the first six guys in the batting order you know, are the big four and then, you know, Tyler White and Yuli Gurriel or Gurriel and Tyler White, whatever, five, six. And then your order really gets so extended and so impossible because you're, you know, you're jamming Josh Reddick or Tony Kemp or whatever down at the bottom of the order. And that's a that's a lineup nobody wants to face. I think with uh, you mentioned there that that catcher is the Astros biggest need in the lineup. I mean, it's pretty obvious and glaring. I wouldn't rule out Martin Maldonado coming back, but more as a backup, you know, uh, he's a great gold glove defensive catcher can come in late in game. So, and he gives you that option to, you know, start two or three times a week. If he'd be amenable to doing that because he liked the organization and maybe he goes out and gets a bigger contract somewhere else and can, can play every day. But I I'd like to have him back just as, as the, as the backup or part-time catcher. And then, yeah, like, I mean, ideally would be JT Real Muto, but he's look, he's going to cost you, if you want to go out and get him, you know, 
to talk about your top prospects, you know, Kyle Tucker, J.B. Buskowskis, Forrest Whitley, you know, some kind of package of those guys for him. So that's why with the Astros, they might weigh and say, well, you know, maybe it's a better option to have Martin Maldonado as a backup and then go out and get somebody like a Wilson Ramos or a Yasmani Grandel in, in free agency that you kind of discussed on our postseason wrap up show that could be kind of the starting catcher who can hit, who can who can be that offensive catcher. And then, like you said, have, or, or they could have Martin Maldonado as a backup or somebody of that ilk backing him up. Astros fans, they're so excited about this World Series, RG, Red Sox, Dodgers, two franchises that they love. Astros fans definitely want to watch a World Series now that they're not in it. Uh, what what do you have on the World hey, Series? Well, there are a lot of ex-Astros in it, though. I mean, you can still, like, uh, you have J.D. Martinez there. That's depressing. <laughs> yeah, Kiki Hernandez, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was very disappointing for the Astros to lose the Boston Red Sox. As we're recording this, Boston Red Sox have already won game one at home against the Dodgers. Uh, they look to be the superior club. I mean, we saw them firsthand. Their lineup, it's like everybody says, it's relentless. They beat down the Astros starting rotation. Red Sox in five, book it, book it. Look, it's a seven-game series, and yes, the Red Sox should should win. It's not a seven-game series yet. It's best of seven. But, I mean, let's not forget the Dodgers do. I mean, I know Clayton Kershaw is not the same pitcher, but mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, Walker Bueller. This guy is a, is a lights-out starter. Hinjun Ryu has pitched well for the Dodgers throughout the second half of the season, was really coming in hot as the postseason started. I mean, their bullpen, they still have Kenley Johnson. They still have Kenta Maeda, who we saw in the World Series last year, pitched really well against the Astros. I mean, they have, uh, you know, guys, uh, Baez has pitched well for the Dodgers second half of the season. So they have some pitching. They're just their lineups a little bit different. But I want to count out these Dodgers just because every time you count them out, whether it was a regular, oh, they're done, stick a fork on them. You know, oh, in September, oh, wait, you know, Colorado, Arizona, they're going to pass. Oh, stick a fork. Oh, wait, you got to go to the extra game in the season. Oh, stick a fork in them. You know, Colorado win the division. No, Dodgers win the division. Oh, wait. You know, they're down in the series against Milwaukee, stick a fork in them. Well, we've seen that with championship teams or teams of destiny before. I still would favor the the Red Sox. And as I'm saying this, they might end up sweeping the, the series or winning five games. But let's not count the Dodgers out. They were in the championship last year and they have a good, resilient ball club. And every time that they're counted out and said, you know, you're you know, you're gone, you're dead, you know, they somehow come back to life again. So maybe they can rekindle that Phoenix and, and make it a competitive World Series. And who knows what can happen. But yeah, I, I agree with you right now. It's looking like the Red Sox would win this thing. Kirk Gibson and Oral Hershiser are not walking through that door. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think the Dodgers are going to win this one. Well, I don't either. I don't either. But I want to give people, hey, maybe there's an exciting reason to watch a L.A. Boston World Series. And, and you just never know. You know, sometimes baseball, at least you'd have to admit it's not like basketball. If it's the Golden State Warriors, you're probably not going to beat them. I mean, it's almost impossible. If it's the New England Patriots at their height, I mean, I guess the New York Giants beat them when they had the undefeated season. But I mean, football, it's one game. It's difficult, you know, but in baseball, you can get pitchers getting hot. A lineup can get cold. You know, they're, it's best four out of seven. Have fun. If you've got four hours that you want to spend time on, you know, in the end, your end thing as a Houston fan is to see somebody from L.A. or somebody from Boston winning, an, winning a championship. Have fun with that with that four hour experience. It's it, every night. That's going to be. But, hey, we, we buried the lead, RG, over on Locked On Texans. We're talking about a first place team right now. How about that? 
Yeah, I mean, that's uh, and the Texans have a short week this week. They're going up against the Miami Dolphins. And, and hey, you were the guy, again, talking about sticking a fork in a team. I mean, I remember after the Texans were on three, oh, this team's done. They had, it was a must win. They had to win and all that. And even after they won in overtime against Indianapolis, oh, well, no, this team's no good and all that. But if you looked at their schedule and the way that things could play out, I still think they're not, look, as Bill O'Brien coaching staff, we've had these discussions before, I, you know, long term, even this season, are they the best team in the AFC? Can they do that? I Probably not. But look, look as, you, as you're looking at things right now, Jacksonville has no quarterback now. I mean, when you say that Blake Bortles is on a short leash and this is the guy you gave your contract, so you do, just think about the uncertainty that puts in the locker room. I mean, they're, they're in a total disarray over there when you don't have we've seen that in houston over the years like, hey start ryan mallet or hey start brock osweiler or hey start case keenum and all that kind of stuff and when you have that kind of qb uncertainty i mean it divides a locker room so i good luck i mean hey you know jacksonville can have that problem now then you have like indianapolis it, you know the Texans have already beaten them andrew luck you know coming back but still i mean i you know don't look at them as a juggernaut or somebody to take over and then tennessee has been i mean mike rabel with that play call at the end of the game they you know lost uh, the they had this losing streak they just haven't looked like the same team and they even were you know pretty lucky to beat the the texans with with blaine gabbert and had a trick play and all that so hey, we asked them on we asked uh, everybody on locked on texans are the texans the favorite in the afc south what do you think are they, should they be the favorite now in the afc south they'd have to be right now i would have said jacksonville but i mean look at the quarterback problem that's there and they went up to jacksonville and beat them they have three division games at home remember they had all their division games on the road so texans play much better at energy stadium so they get you know jacks plus there's you know they do have Denver coming up. Look, they they have to beat Miami. They have to beat the return of uh, uh, Brock Lobster, you know, to the the uh, Energy Stadium on Thursday again with the Miami Dolphins. To me, that's kind of like they need to get that win so that when they go to Denver the following week, you know, that's a tough place to win at. I'm sorry, you know that over the years, is Denver's always the high altitude. I mean, uh, it's always gives problems to road teams. So. To expect to win there, but to come out four and four, if you look over the second half of the season, I mean, I know Cleveland's improved, but you should be able to beat a team like the Browns. You should be able to beat a team like the Jets. I know it's on the road. I mean, they have a tough game against Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is not the same team this year. They're not the Super Bowl champions. They've lost a lot of games. So that game in December could look quite different. They have to play Washington, which will be a tough game. Uh, at, at Washington, they're a first place team in that. But if you look over the course, and then they have the three home games again against you know Jacksonville, Indianapolis, and Tennessee. So I mean, if you win your division games, if you knock out your opponents, they end up going let's say five and one in the division, four and two. That puts them in a really good position, and then you pick up games elsewhere. So I, I still think, yeah, I, I would be bullish on on the Texans winning the division. But of course, that goes without saying. You know, Deshaun Watson has to stay healthy, and he has those uh, what punctured lung and uh, bruised or uh, ribs. And- yeah, he's taken the Partridge family bus to games these days. So yeah, it, it's not good. And I, I'm just glad that I could provide some bulletin board material. Uh, Bill O'Brien told me 
uh, my sickle fork in it. It's, it's up on the bulletin board with everything else over at the Texas. So, facility. hey, are you saying a Partridge family? Come on, get happy, bus. Everybody get on, get happy, get on the Texans bandwagon. In honor of David Cassidy, that's what you got. And I tell you what, I didn't think Brocktoberfest would be back in Houston. And that's something that you have to think about. I mean, I saw the Jadavian Clowney comments and everything. So Brock Lobster, Brock and Roll, whatever, you know, he's going to be coming back. He's going to want to get revenge on the Texans. But there are a lot of Texans and the coaching staff and everybody. I mean, you, you're probably a little bit more fired up for a, a Thursday night game against the Miami Dolphins than you you would have been because, uh, I mean, having Brock Osweiler on the other sideline, that's something that you weren't really expecting at the beginning of the season. And now that that's happening, I mean, it kind of gives you what's your appetite. It gives you more of a reason, motivation to go out and play that game if you need it anymore. Don't forget, I come at you daily with my co-host Brian Patterson over on Locked On Texans. But, you know, it's just not me and Brian. We get some... We're getting some great guests. Uh, if you didn't go listen, didn't hear it, go listen to an uh, interview we did with Sage, or not Sage, Seth Payne last week. Uh, might get Sage Rosenfelds down the road. I'll, I'm going to work on that. And then also this week, we talked to Steph Stradley with the Houston Chronicle. And, you know, every week we get uh, an insider's perspective from the Locked On podcast host that covers the kids. They're, they're covering every single NFL team. We got, you know, every NFL team in that network and some some really good guys over there. And, you know, Sage actually, Sage Rosenfels, I really enjoy him on our Locked On Network on Locked On NFL every week. He comes on there once a week. And 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 Sage is, gives some really good – I mean, the former Texan is a really bright guy, and he has some really thoughtful stuff on the quarterbacks around the NFL and other stuff that's going on. So, uh, yeah, go check out Locked On Texans because uh, uh, we're still coming at you every single day. You know, we do the post-game shows – Within a couple of hours after every game, you can uh, go find that just on your iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcast app or however you want to hear it. But uh, uh, enjoy that. That's all we got for uh, this one. Hopefully some uh, Rockets wins are coming up in the next week or two we can talk about. But uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks again for listening, and if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com. Touchdown!